Hello, Happy New Year, and welcome back to the Athletics Baseball Podcast with your host, Taylor, where we talk about all things A's and sometimes even things that are baseball-related but not about the A's, which is going to be the first subject of this podcast today, first podcast of 2023 episode 5, and uh, that first bit of the conversation is the Carlos Correa drama. And if you haven't been keeping up with it all, then it's pretty interesting, it's pretty entertaining. It doesn't affect the A's really where he ends up, so it's just something fun talking about what's going on around the league. And then we're also going to discuss a little bit today uh, what I think the state of the A's lineup will be in the 2023 season. Not going to talk about the rotation or the bullpen or anything much today, just the fielding positions, the roles that I think players will be having, how much playing time they'll be getting, and, and stuff like that. Basically, just, uh, you know, and and I don't know, I don't have an inside line with the A's on this. This is just my thought process as far as just the moves that they're making, trying to, trying to understand the moves that the A's have made in this offseason, and what I think that it means and um, and also looking at the stats that we have on these players that we got and the rookies that we've got coming up and what what I think that that means where where they would be likely to play because obviously the A's front office has those statistics as well. And if something stands out to me, then they probably already saw it a long time ago. So now, before I go into that, I just want to thank you all for continuing to listen to the podcast and ask you, if you haven't already, follow, subscribe, leave a rating and a review, and tell your friends about this podcast. If you have any friends that are A's fans or baseball fans, if you know anyone who might be interested then share it with them, send them a link, make it easy for them to find. I would I would really appreciate that. Now, let's let's talk a little bit about Carlos Correa. So, if you have had your head stuck in the sand for a couple of years as far as baseball goes, then you might not have heard about the Houston Astros sign-stealing scandal. But most of you probably have heard about it at this point. And, you know, they, they basically just used electronics to steal uh, to steal signs that players on second base, if you have a, a runner on second, they will sometimes try to see the signs that the catcher is relaying to the pitcher, and then they will try and give a signal to the batter what they're what they're calling for the next pitch to be and that's allowed in baseball that's fine because it's something that the player on the field is doing 
and that's been the case for forever. It's been allowed. But what's not allowed is players not on the field or non-players doing anything to communicate these stolen signs to the batter. And also what's really not allowed, and this hasn't been an issue until... Uh, well, it wasn't an issue originally in the sport because it didn't exist. Technology, you can't use technology to transfer uh, sign knowledge to the batter, which kind of makes sense because then you would just pay pay someone, have have an intern on your staff and just put them in, the, in center field and have a buzzer hooked up to everybody, you know, and just... Then, you, then everybody would know exactly what's coming, and the sport would be ruined. Obviously, it wouldn't wouldn't be fun. So, the Astros used players and staff and and things to relay the, these signs. Uh, they they banged on trash cans. There's speculation that there may have been a buzzer involved, but we don't know anything for sure about that, but to bring it full circle to Carlos Correa, when this whole thing happened, he sort of leaned into the bad guy role and embraced it and made a lot of people not like him, including me and probably most of you, those of you who had been keeping up with this at least, and it's I'm not going to say he's a bad person. I don't know him, and he might be a fine person, but I do not like his personality in baseball. I, I also don't like the Astros, and now he's not on the Astros, but for me, he'll always be a tainted player, and there's pretty much nothing that him or anyone else can do about it to change that. Maybe if he saves someone from a burning building, then I will go a little bit easier on him. Uh, other other than some sort of heroic act or, or something, I'm not going to forgive him for basically just saying, uh, screw you to all of the fans and players of other teams who did not cheat in baseball for those that year, a couple of years that it was happening on the Astros and maybe a couple of other teams, but not to the extent that it happened with the Astros. So he, last year, was with the Twins. He had an, an opt-out, a, a player option, and he exercised the opt-out, so he was a free agent this offseason. And technically, right now, he actually still is a free agent. I think this whole thing is actually kind of funny. And I'll get into that in a second and why that doesn't make me a bad person <laughs> to say that, I think. Um, so he opted out of his contract with the Minnesota Twins so that he could be a free agent, and my understanding is that he wanted to be the highest paid shortstop in MLB history, and it was looking like maybe it 
he was holding out. He was really holding out, and I was starting to think that maybe he wasn't going to get it. Maybe he wasn't going to get the contract that he wanted because, you know, teams weren't making offers that were even close to what he was asking for. He wanted a long-term, like, rest-of-his-career contract. $350 million is, I believe, what his general asking price was. That's a lot of money. So, eventually, he got an offer from the San Francisco Giants. And, like I've said, I don't love the Giants just because they are across the bay from the A's does not mean, and, and in the National League, does not mean that my, that the Giants are my secondary team or anything like that. For me, it's more of a rivalry. I love the Battle of the Bay. I love to watch those games and, and, and that stuff. It's, yeah, it's a fun, for me, it's a fun rivalry. It's, it's good. And, and I feel like Giants fans sort of disregard the A's like a lot of other fans and, and news outlets and things do. But I also don't like that the A's are sort of seen as the second team in the Bay when, for most of the time that these two teams have been in the Bay, the Giants were more of the second team. The A's have been better than the Giants. Outside of the Giants' five years, the A's have always been better than the Giants. Anyway, the Giants offered Carlos Correa the contract that he wanted, the $350 million 13-year contract, and he is 28 uh, just turned 28 recently, so it would it would have bought him out until his 41st year season, and probably he at most he would have been like a bench player, utility guy, at, at, you know, at age 41, sort of a, just a team leader, sort of a thing, and probably not worth at that point after. 10 years of the 13-year deal, probably not worth the $27 million a year that he would be making every year for that length of that contract, but it satisfied what he wanted, and he instantly, he, he said yes, he was excited, he came over. All of these deals, every time, they're always pending medical medical review, and usually it's not an issue. It's, you know, that's just a formality that they do that. And this time, it was an issue. And the Giants didn't say, oh, we're backing out. They just said they wanted to renegotiate. Correa and his agent, uh, Boris, one of the, one of the, the bigger, pro- probably the biggest agent in baseball, they just pivoted. They went to the Mets, who immediately offered a smaller deal, $315 million, 12-year deal, which is, for the Mets, a much nicer deal than the Giants uh, were going to get. But it was not... It was. It was still pending the medical review, and Boris was really sort of obscuring details about 
what the issues were with the Giants and the Mets were like, oh yeah, I'm sure we'll, we'll take a look at it and if there's any problem. Well, the medical review happened and there was a problem. Same problem as with the Giants. And the Mets pulled the deal off the table and want to renegotiate further. At this point, Correa is not getting his mega deal that he wants, or there might be a lot of it, a lot of it might be tied into performance and staying healthy and things like that. Which, um, from what I've heard about what they were seeing. Uh, the problem was an issue with his ankle from an old injury, apparently, um, from an injury like eight or nine years ago, I think, that it must be pretty bad if the Giants and the Mets are getting scared away from a guy that they were pretty enthusiastic about. So it's not really looking great for Correa, which... I'm fine with, and and this is back to the why I'm not a bad person for finding it entertaining that he's having these issues here. Well, he doesn't have an injury right now. I'm not rooting for him to get an injury. The only thing that's happening to him because of this, he's losing maybe maybe $50 million over his career. He's still going to make $250, $300 million, and he can have the best prosthetic that they can make once once his, uh, once his leg falls off, or I don't think it will. I'm just joking. But no, I, I think it's kind of funny that um, the Giants have missed on all of their big signings that they tried to that they tried to get this offseason, and uh, seeing Giants fans freaking out about that was really entertaining to me, not only because I like it when the Giants are not the best team getting all the highlights and, and, uh, and the best team in the Bay, which they will be this next year no matter what, because... Well, I, I shouldn't say no matter what, but um, they will probably be the best team in the Bay next year and maybe the year after that, and they do spend money. But the other thing that I think was funny about this to me was <laughs> that the Giants fans' reactions to missing out on Judge and now losing Correa and um, losing, I think, another big uh, free agent that they were trying to go after the fans, the Giants fans, are freaking out because they didn't sign these big marquee deals that for for big superstar players. Um, and now they're you know <laughs> when Carlos Correa was announced as the as signing with the Giants, everybody was talking. You know the all the podcasters and and baseball media they were all like oh this is such a, this is a such a relief for the giants because there were all of these questions about are they really a destination team that players want to sign on to because it doesn't seem like it and 
you've got like the Giants are losing out to other teams with similar offers or the Giants are even making better offers and like <laughs> then right after that the Correa signings off the books and the Giants are not getting any big superstar and and the fans are freaking out and acting like you know they've become the pirates or or something like you know where the a team is perpetually just not spending money and everything and and the giants i think have a a roster salary of 150 million dollars right now maybe even more with a couple of the the non superstar signings they have in the off season this year so i just think it's super ironic <laughs> that the A's are are what they are right now and yes a lot of A's fans are mad about it but there are also a lot of A's fans that are sort of stoic about it at this point and they they know what's coming they they know the low budget cycle comes and then the team gets better and it goes away. And the Giants have a budget that's a, a salary uh, amount that's three times the A's, and apparently that's too small. That's a failure, apparently, to them. So, yeah, kind of funny. I'll just switch over. I think you you got the point with the Carlos Correa stuff. Let's talk a little bit about the state of the athletics lineup currently on the roster looking at the fielders we've got Manny Pena who we got recently from the uh, Sean Murphy trade he is going to be the star or (laughs) scratch that not the star he's going to be the veteran backup catcher, most likely. With Shea Langoliers getting a majority of time behind the plate and probably maturing, and he's got he's got a great glove and a, and a good arm, so we should be seeing some, some high-level defense and hopefully see his bat develop more as well which last year he had in his 142 at-bats for the A's at the major league level, he had a 691 OPS, which is well, maybe, maybe about league average last year, and that's fairly decent. It's, it's about 40 games, six home runs. You know, you extrapolate that a little bit, and... And you're getting uh, 24 home runs-ish, so 20 to 25 home runs over the course of a season. Basically, with the bat, he's sort of looking like Sean Murphy a couple of years ago when he was sort of maturing his offense a little bit. So that's really encouraging. And if he takes a little step forward this year, then we're going to be sitting totally pretty. We're not going to really be 
missing anything from having to trade off Sean Murphy and um, trading off Sean Murphy, obviously sad. And I know that a lot of people seeing Sean Murphy just sign sign, uh, a long-term contract with the Braves are, are kind of upset about that as well now. But we've got Shea Langoliers for quite a while, and his bat should continue to get better. So we will get to see a lot of him, and I think that trading Murphy gets him all of the time behind the plate that he needs to develop as a catcher defensively and as a big league hitter. So that's the catching role, sort of, Manny Pena and Shea Langoliers. We will probably be seeing on the infield, my guess is Ryan Noda on first base to start the season, at least, and if he's just absolutely horrible, untenable, can't run him on the big league level, and we might just cut him and send him back to the Dodgers, and no harm done, really. I don't think that's going to be the case. I talked about it before, why I am high on Ryan Noda, and I think that he will stick as our first base talent for now, and I know that that might be a little bit disappointing for some people, what that would mean would be Dermis Garcia might not stick in the first base slot for the A's, which people started liking what they were seeing with him, started getting a little hype built around him, and his bat was okay, 652 OPS, a little worse than league average. Good slugging power, batting average needs to come up a little bit. So I think to start the season, Ryan Noda mostly at first base. Dermis Garcia will get a little bit of playing time, and if one of them looks really solid, we keep him. The other one maybe is a trade candidate. Well, actually, Ryan Noda couldn't be traded, so if they're doing pretty much equally, then my guess would be we would trade off Dermis Garcia, keep Ryan Noda as our first base. That's that's just my thought process. Moving over, we've got Nick Allen, who last year played both uh, shortstop and second base, and he is a great defender. Which one will he play going forward? I, I don't really know. I think it depends more on who else we've got that's going to step into playing those those step into playing the other position. And right now, both of those positions are kind of open. You know, we've got one is accounted for with Nick Allen. One of them, but we don't know which one yet. I think... I feel like he'll end up at second, but who who knows? Um, second or shortstop. And Jonah Bride, he sort of bounced around last year, got most of his time at second base, but quite a bit at third base as well. Defensively, second base was really good for him. 
third base was just okay, and his bat needs to have some improvement. It needs it needs to develop just like Nick Allen. They basically have the same stats for their bats. I guess Jonah Bride actually got on base a little bit more, and Nick Allen uh, must have been hitting uh, higher slugging. So I think Nick Allen is a lock for second or shortstop. Jonah Bride will get his days in on second base, mostly probably, and when he does, Nick Allen will probably just slide over to shortstop. And the other interesting option is Tony Kemp could stick at second. He he is a good second baseman, and, well, he's a great fielder pretty much anywhere we put him. You know, he, he plays uh, second base and left field uh, really well. So I was thinking originally that maybe he would be in left field, but we've got so many utility guys right now that it'll probably be a little bit of a carousel until we until we figure out who's who that that we want to keep but when you when you look at the when you look at the roster actually it's kind of interesting one of the new guys that we signed Jace Peterson is listed as an infielder and he has third base experience pretty pretty good at third base so i think that's where he's going to be playing most of the time and the other new guy that we picked up on a free agency signing was Oledmus Diaz who also plays all over the place sort of like Jace Peterson but he's listed as an outfielder getting most of his reps in at left field and also a lot of shortstop oh actually a lot of second base too so shortstop second base left field but he's listed right now as an outfielder so I think that the A's are probably going to put Oledmus Diaz in left field Tony Kemp on second Ryan Noda on first Jace Peterson in left or, no, Jace Peterson on third base, Aledmus Diaz in left field, and right field, I think, Seth Brown. He played a lot of first base last year, and he played a lot of right field, and I think that he is probably a better right fielder than he is a first baseman. I think that you need his bat in the lineup, and I would just put Seth Brown in right field, and the only position left is center field, which is sort of obviously Ramon Laureano. However, we've got Christian Pache, and he is out of options, so he's got to be on the on the roster for the major league team now. And we've also got a story Ruiz, who I think you really want to give him a lot of playing time and a lot of looks, not just coming off the bench 
you know, once a week. And, you know, they, they both need a lot of playing time in order to develop. And then Connor Capel was also playing really well last year as a right fielder. So it's a little bit cramped out there. You got Cal Stevenson and um, Brent Rooker, Lawrence Butler also listed, but I don't see those two getting too much playing time at this point. My guess is Ramon Laureano gets traded, and it might be the case that the A's are still going to hold on to him until the trade deadline and hope that he has a better first half of the season. Uh, Last year was a bit of a down year for him, which I think was kind of just his morale, because these players don't feel good either when the team is gutted and they're on this team that's now trying to figure it out whereas the year before the team was fighting hard for a spot in the postseason so I think that for Loriano last year he had a bit of a morale problem which probably made him play a little bit worse than he would have otherwise and I know he wanted to be traded last year, which didn't happen, probably because his production was suffering, and the A's were worried they weren't going to get enough for him, but I, I really think that the sooner that a trade happens here, and I know that everyone loves Loriano as well, just like we all loved the entire core that was here just a couple of years ago. And we have to embrace the breaking up of that core and the development of the new core. And Loriano doesn't really have a slot on the next core, I think. He's getting to the point where it's time to trade him, basically. And... I know that the A's want to get enough for him, just like they do with every other trade piece that they have, but you just got to clear out some space at this point. And between Story Ruiz and Christian Pache, you know, you've got a great defensive center fielder in Christian Pache with a really bad bat that needs to come up quite a bit. And then you've got a story Ruiz who ha- just hasn't had a chance. But I think we're not in the postseason run next year. I would say platoon the two of them. But my guess for what's actually going to happen is Loriano will have the opening day slot. Uh, if he performs well for the first couple of months of the season, the A's will trade him off before the deadline. And then Pache and Ruiz will... Either we'll have an idea of which player we want to go for in center field there, or we will platoon them and just try and get something out of them until one of them ideally has a sort of breakout. And then Cal Stevenson, left fielder, 
Connor Capel, right fielder. I think that these guys are just going to be coming off the bench and giving rest days to Diaz in left and Seth Brown in, in right, which Seth Brown is still listed as an infielder, but I think that he's I think he's going to be used as a right fielder this year with Ryan Noda on first. Then on the infield, you've got a couple other guys that I haven't talked too much about right now. You've got Kevin Smith, who is a shortstop, and Jordan Diaz, who plays third base. I think that they'll sort of just be the backup young guys that are that are still getting their feet wet and maybe maybe Kevin Smith and Jonah Bride will end up um sort of fighting for that short st- uh fighting for an infield spot with Kevin Smith fighting for a shortstop and Jonah Bride fighting for second and Nick Allen who's great defense, gold glove level defense can play in second or short with without a step lost. He'll just fill in whichever spot there is necessary between between Kevin Smith and Jonah Bride. Whichever one of them figures it out first or best will probably stick in the infield and Maybe at that point, Tony Kemp is a potential trade candidate, which I don't want to speak into existence because I really like Tony Kemp, and I really like him on the A's. But I don't know. Um, you've got these young guys who are who are figuring it out or trying to figure it out, and if they do figure it out, then we've got a clear out some space so there it is my my final estimated opening day or not opening day but typical starting lineup starting defensive roster for the A's with just my best guesses here is Shea Langoliers as the catcher, Ryan Noda as the starting first baseman, Nick Allen on second, with Kevin Smith on shortstop, except sometimes it'll be Nick Allen on shortstop and Jonah Bright on second, and then over on third base, Jace Peterson. For the outfield, typical starting roster I'm thinking will be Seth Brown in right field, Tony Kemp in left field, or Aledmus Diaz in left field, and Loriano in center, and then Aledmus Diaz or Tony Kemp as a DH, whoever's not playing left field. I think at some point Loriano will be traded this season or the offseason. There's still time for that to happen. And probably the A's will get will try and go after either a young prospect in a, the in like in low A, high A, 
or a pitching prospect, which you can never really have too many of as long as you don't need to cram them all in on your active roster (laughs) because it's so hard to predict whether pitchers are going to stick as a starter or switch to a reliever or make a change that drastically improves their their game or learn a new learn a new pitch that opens up their options significantly so you sort of want a ton of pitching options and maybe that's what happens when Ramon Laureano is I think eventually traded well that's all I've got for you today We'll talk about some more interesting things later on in future episodes with statistics, and and, um, there's some interesting things that I would like to do going forward. I want to do sort of a baseball statistics discussion and what some of the more obscure things mean and why we care about them, basically. And I also want to do... A baseball movie talk. Probably I would like to do it once a month, the first week of the month, which means that I am going to be trying to do that on the next episode this week. That will be releasing on Thursday. And hopefully I can get that done in time for you. I think it's going to be something pretty interesting that you might all be liking to listen to. So just teasing that a little bit, where this first one might be a little bit longer, but typically like five to ten minutes, just uh, I'll watch a movie that I've probably already seen before, and then we'll just have a little talk about the movie. And I just think it'll be something kind of fun. So, as always... Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, send those over to my email at athleticsbaseballpodcast at gmail.com or follow and reach out to me on Instagram at athleticsbaseballpodcast. And thank you for listening. See you next time.